Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Um, just to, to let you know, we are in the process of just uh, a kind of walk through the back quickly, and it's quite hot and stuffy towards the back there. So we are in the process of getting that all sorted out. That aircon needs to be replaced. So hopefully next week, Sunday, it will be much cooler. Okay. So we are working on that. And then we have a birthday. Emma's already shaking her head. Emma is right at the back. It's her birthday. Luckily for you, the band has left. And I love our church too much for me to sing to you. So I just want to wish you a happy, happy birthday. It's so awesome that you get to be with us and that we get to be with you. So I hope you have a blessed day. And we're so grateful that uh, you're in our lives. Very awesome. Enjoy. Vili, spoil her. Okay, got a nod there. Okay. As you know, as a church, we are doing the Bible reading plan. And uh, like last week, I'd like to find out, like Rico did last week, who has had some insight, something that they'd like to share with the church this morning about the Bible reading plan for the last week? I know a lot of your names, and I'm a teacher. <laughs> yes, Wendy. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yes, that it is. Thank you. Anybody else? <laughs> JP sees me looking at him. Thank you, JP. Yes. Okay, look, it's nice and loud, hey? Nice and loud. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, he, he knows exactly what we're going through. Thank you. We, we're going to do this every week just to um, find out what God is saying to us as a church. So prepare yourselves. If I know your name and I'm up here. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a business studies teacher or I teach here and one of my subjects that I teach is business studies. And um, I have this uh, part of my subject is that there are a lot of definitions. And so we always have a definitions quiz every week. And when I'm feeling particularly evil... Um, what I do 
is I wipe the short-term memory of my students. They already know it's coming, and they're like, no, oh, please not, ma'am. I'm like, so what you do, right? You pick up your paper. <laughs> so what you do is, because then the students have normally just studied, you get them, and they have to write, like, the lessons of the day, their surnames backwards. And it's a little trick I learned, because it wipes out their short-term memory. So if they hadn't studied like the night before, and if they had just crammed before the lesson, they remember nothing. It's a good trick, eh? It's a good trick. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, my students don't love me when I do that, but it's, it's, I do it every now and then just to check, have they actually studied, or have they just, you know, got it in here and in 10 minutes it's gone again? I just, you know, fast forward that process for them. And so we can see whether it's, it's studied, or whether it's just there for a moment. And I think that sometimes um, we do that as well. We just remember things for a short amount of time. In January 2009, many of you may have heard about this, there was an airplane, an airline, a, a Boeing Airbus that took off in New York. And approximately three minutes after it took off, uh, a flock of geese, they had an impact with a flock of geese and it wiped out both, both engines of the plane. And uh, there was a captain, the captain on board, his name was uh, Sally Sullenberger. You might have heard of the story, Miracle on the Hudson. And so in three minutes from takeoff, the engines all died. And he had 208 seconds from the moment that the engines died to actually landing the plane in the river. We are now going to wait for 208 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. But he had 208 seconds from that moment to figure out how to get this plane down safely. As many of you know, he then landed it in the, in the river, which was an amazing feat, something he had never done before, something he had never trained for, and he was able to save 154 people that day. Because of what? He was a, a, a pilot for 40 years. For 40 years he had been flying. He flew for the, um, the what you call it? American plane people. There we go. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me today. But anyway, Air Force, there we go. <laughs> he flew for the Air Force, there we go. Whew. And then he flew as a commercial pilot, and he had 20,000 hours of flights behind him. So in those 208 seconds, everything was automatic. He stepped into gear, and you can imagine the adrenaline spike that he went through when he realized he was going to have to land this plane. And in 208 seconds, he was able to do it safely so that not one person died, which is incredible. When we are faced with great stress and emotional pain, that is usually when you can see what somebody is really made of. Um, according to movies, uh, I've, I've discovered that movies say that women and men are in pain when A, women give birth, and when men get kidney stones. That's when I've discovered that that's when, when men and women are in a lot of pain. And that's when you can discover who they really are. It doesn't need to necessarily be physical pain. It can be emotional pain. It can be mental pain or spiritual distress, whatever the case may be. And the question that I want to ask us this morning is, in those times, what do we do? You're facing a time of, of distress. I thought that was my phone, but no, it's not my phone. Um, you're facing a time of distress, and what is your immediate reaction? For some of us, it's chocolate. For some of us, it's food. For some of us, it's maybe alcohol. If you're one of those lucky people, it could be the gym. Okay, those very fortunate people that go to the gym and go exercise when they're in stress. 
Perhaps it's pornography. Maybe it's taking control of the situation and everybody in it. Maybe it's escaping to social media or TV or gaming. Perhaps we get angry. The question is, what do you do when you get into distress, when there is something that is really bugging you? And how many of us can say that we respond in a godly manner? I don't always. I would love to, but I don't always respond in a godly manner. In Matthew, we can see that Jesus was led into the desert by the Spirit, where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is they do a lot of understatements. It says he was very hungry. Okay? After 40 days and 40 nights of starving, he was very hungry. I would have been, he was starving, you know, but anyway, Jesus was very hungry. And we see that this whole uh, time where Jesus goes into the desert, it's all planned. It's all part of what, what God had planned for his son. And I think one of the reasons that he actually went through this was for us to learn what to do when we are tempted. Jesus replied when, when Satan tempted him, whether it was food or glory or whatever the case may be, he replied three times, not using fancy words, fancy arguments. How did he reply? He just quoted scripture. He quoted scripture from Deuteronomy, and he quoted scripture, and that was the answer that he gave. He doesn't, you know how we sometimes try and argue and kind of reason things? He just quotes scripture, and that's the end of his temptation. So we see that Jesus, the one that we are trying to be like, he's the one that already quotes scripture, and he's the one that we need to follow. We're going to spend some time today looking at why we need to be reading our Bibles. As you know, we're doing the reading plan. Uh, f by the way, guys, you can get a different version than the King James Version. Okay. All right. Because I know there are some of us that have got the King James Version. You don't need to read thouest, theist, and otherists if you don't want to. Okay. If you want to, bless you. Uh, but we can put it into other versions. So we will help you with that afterwards. <clears throat> Why do we read the Bible? Number one, Scripture tells us to. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall never depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do it according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Very straightforward. Meditate on it day and night. And that's one of many verses in Scripture that tells us the benefit of reading Scripture. What I love about this verse is there is a command but there's also a promise. And that's, that's something that's just incredible for me when you see how often that is in Scripture. One of the favorite things that I, that I love is the uh, Ten Commandments for children where it says, obey your parents so that it may go well with you. There's actually a, a promise that's attached to obeying your parents. So Lifeway did a, a study in 2017 in the States, and they found that nearly nine out of ten households had Bibles in their house. And most households had an average of three Bibles per household. So if they had Bibles, they had at least three Bibles. They further did a research and they found, uh, they did a survey of a thousand Americans uh, to see how they read their Bible. And what they found was that one in five had read through the Bible at least once. And that includes 11% who had read, read the entire Bible once, 9% who had read through it more than once, and another 12% that said they've read nearly all the Bible, while 15% have read at least half. Okay? About half of the Americans, 53%, have read relatively little of the Bible. One in 10 has read none of it, while 13% have read a few sentences. 30% <clears throat> say they've read several passages or stories, 
We are now going to do a survey. In, no, we're not going to do a survey in church. <laughs> but I wonder if we did a survey in Namibia, would it look any different? Would it look better? Would it look worse? I wonder what it would look like for us as a church. I know I have a ton of Bibles at home, and I should be reading them far more than I am. So I don't think that we as, as believers always do a very good job of reading what's actually in God's Word. And then, of course, there's the next step of applying it. But that's another message. So I'm one of those people that reads manuals. Anybody else out there? Do you read manuals? Yes. Okay. Now, we get made fun of a lot. You see, yeah, only after you can't. Yeah, you see, we think ahead. And so we read the manual, okay? And then we find out all these cool things that something could do, right? We have a coffee machine here, and I found out it could make cappuccinos. Nobody knew that for many years. You read the manual, and you find out things that you never knew. I love driving in new cars. I'm like, oh, look at this, look at this. I taught my mom how to use cruise control. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> so manuals are actually an incredible thing. It also tells you what not to do, okay? Uh, there's always these jokes about uh, women drivers, and I'm a woman, I can say it, with all the red lights, you know, at what point do we tell somebody when all the red lights are shining? Manual, people. It's all in the manual, okay? So we get made fun of, but there's actually a great benefit to it. There's a reason why we get asked to set up things and do things, because we read the manual. Okay, I just had to stand up for ourselves there. But when we read um, the Bible, we see that it's a bit of a cliche, but the Bible is actually a manual for our lives. And it reads in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In this world right now, and I can't speak before, but I know at this stage, there are a lot of relative truths right now. So in other words, this is true for me, it's not necessarily true for you, or vice versa. And so uh, we speak to many young people that will say, you know, all religions lead to heaven, or that can be true for you, but that's not necessarily true, true for me. And we live in a world where that happens a whole lot. And so when I read in Timothy that it says, it's used to teach us what is true, that's comforting to me. Because there are many clever people out there much cleverer than me, and they'd use much fancier arguments than I could ever do. And so when I look at that, I realize that God's word supersedes all of that. That God's word is truth. And it doesn't matter what I think about it or what I feel about it, God's word is truth. God's word will outlast all of us. If you have a look at history, there have been so many different types and styles of thinking, postmodernism, modernism, relative, all of those isms. But God's word stays true. The French philosopher Voltaire once said, A hundred years from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. A hundred years after his death, the French Bible Society set up its headquarters in Voltaire's old home in Paris. That's a <laughs> poetic justice. But God's word will stand. When you look at, at all the persecution and everything that has gone through, God's word will stand. It says in Matthew 24, it says in verse 35, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And God's word, regardless of what happens, will stand true. Soon we'll be entering our time of fasting in February. And it's an exciting time, but it's a very challenging time as well. 
for, for us as a church, we see that there's a lot of spiritual battle that goes on. And it's a very, very exciting time. And if you haven't been part of that, that's where we as individuals spend time before the Lord and ask what we need to give up. Uh, for some of us, it's a meal. For some of us, it's a certain day of fasting. Uh, for some of I give up vegetables. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Uh, some people give up coffee, whatever the case may be, social media, whatever the case may be, and that is then a time of fasting and praying. And what's interesting is that the church gets skinny. I don't know know if you notice this, most of the church starts getting really skinny. And and what's, uh, I tried to find out this data last night, but apparently for ethical reasons, they don't have hard research about how long we can live without food. Kind of made sense why they didn't have any data. You know, let's starve. Yeah, anyway. So um, how long somebody can live without food until they die? And they don't have anything, you know, specific. But they said between 45 to 60 days, depending on a whole bunch of factors like water intake, weight, whether you're male or female. Apparently, we females live longer. Um, so, so there's all this data. But we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that says, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We cannot live without food. Okay. That's just a fact. We need the nourishment. But we are also not created to live without spending time in, in God's word. There are some people, and, and I used to be like this, that, that I thought that if I go to church on Sunday, that will get me through the week. That's enough time spent in God's word. Imagine if you only ate on Sundays. That would be very depressing for many of us. And um, there's this quote from John Piper, which I thought was an awesome quote, which is, uh, he says, Temptations are too relentless. Doubt is too frequent. Satan is too active. Tribulations are too heavy. Conflicts are too many. And emotions are too volatile. Perplexities are too difficult. Faith, hope, and love are too threatened to think that I can deal with these all week long simply from one word I got on a Sunday. I can't do it, and I don't think anyone can. Spending time in God's word is not enough for just a Sunday. We need to be doing that every day. As our bodies need the nourishment of food, so we need God's word as well. Now, I work with teenagers, and the best way to work with teenagers is to be very graphic. Not, not dodgy graphic, but, you know, to be very, you know, that they see it visually. So one of the things that I do is I ask, who wants a chocolate? You can imagine teenagers. They all put up their hands, and I'm like, okay, hold on. Then I chew the chocolate, and for obvious reasons I'm not going to do it today. Uh, I chew the chocolate and I go, here, you should see their faces. It's kind of like what I'm seeing right now, like there, okay? It's disgust because they're like, ew, you chewed that. Why would I want that? I'm like, but it's really good. I can promise you. I just ate it. It's like delicious. And I, and I explained to them that that's what we do if the only time we hear God's word is from somebody else is we're actually taking somebody else's food that they've chewed and we're going, hmm, yummy. And so that isn't the way that we are made to function. We are made to function to hear God's word and to read God's word uh, in a body, in a corporate setting, of course, but also as an individual. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the Bible reading plan. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
one of our, our interns, we have an intern group, and they were talking about the um, Bible reading plan, and, and Max said, this reading plan is hectic. Every time I read it, I come across something I need to repent from and immediately change. Thank God for grace. And I thought that is, that is so true, that if we spend time in God's word, God's word will guide us and will lead us. There was a man, his name was Charles Steinmetz. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. He was German-born, but he was an American mathematician and an electrical engineer born in 1865. And he was considered to be one of the greats in the scientific thinking. Edison and all those guys, they were his buds. And there's a story about him. Um, there's a bit of doubt whether it's true, but still it's an awesome story. And it says that uh, he was friends with Henry Ford, and there was a... a one of his plants that couldn't figure out uh, something with one of his gigantic uh, generators. And so he got Steinmetz to the, uh, to the plant, and when he arrived, Steinmetz rejected all assistance and said all he wants is a notebook, uh, a pencil, and a, uh, a cot to sleep on. And for two days, according to the story, he listened to the generator, he made notes, and he stayed up straight, and he was there day and night. And on the second day, he climbed up a ladder, he made a mark, an X on the generator, and he told the skeptical engineers to remove a plate on that mark and replace 16 windings from the field coil. I read that like I know what that means. They did, and the generator then performed to perfection. Henry Ford was thrilled until he got the invoice because the invoice was for the amount of 10,000 US dollars. Now you can imagine in the late 1800s. Ford acknowledged that Steinmetz had fixed it, but he was a little bit hesitant about the figure, and so he asked for an itemized bill. Steinmetz responded personally to the request and wrote the following. Making mark on generator, $1. Knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. <laughs> Ford paid the bill. And so that's a fun story, but what I get from that is that knowledge, the knowledge is incredible. And the power of knowledge, and especially the knowledge of God's word. You know the, the, the verse that says, cleanliness is next to godliness? Can anybody tell me where that's from? Cleanliness? <laughs> no, in the Bible, because it says cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, clean. Ah. <laughs> that's right, it's, it's not in the Bible. And I remember it being quoted when, you know, it's time to go have a shower because cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not even in scripture. When I was 10 years old, we all have that, you know, that family friend that, that has a, a child that's older than you and scares the living daylights out of you. I hope I'm not alone in this. When I was 10 years old, a family friend, the older daughter, I think she was about 16, told me that in 1996, according to Nostradamus, now I was 10, right? In 1996, the world will end. Nostradamus has said it to be so. I go, Nostradamus, that must be a very fancy person because that's quite a name. And so for years, as a 10-year-old, I lived in fear of 1996, thinking that the world was going to end. Guess what? It didn't. <laughs> we are still here. But because I didn't have the knowledge, I remember being very scared and going, oh, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Who of you remember, I couldn't quite find the date, was it last year or when did we have this end of the world thing again? There we go. That the end of the world was coming. And there were so many people that, that actually bought, they sold everything. They, they made reckless decisions because they were convinced it was going to be the end of the world. 
In Matthew 24, it says, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And so when somebody comes to us and says, you know, this day is going to be the end of the world. Scripture tells us so clearly that no one knows. And so that's one more example that when we read the word, that's where we can see where the truth is. And that is what we should be guided by. We read the Bible because it sustains us, it guides us, it corrects us, it nourishes us, it tells us who we are, and it tells us who God is. It heals us, it blesses us, it is eternal, and it is living. I would like to invite you that if you are not part of the reading plan yet, to sign up. We've got journals at the bottom. I know that we're already 12 days in, but we are making a plan. We're going to put things on Facebook uh, going to have printouts about where we are as a church. There's also a website. If you're not so keen on the, the whole app thing, there's a website, bibleinoneyear.com. And you can sign up for emails into your, um, that will, they'll send daily emails. But I really would like to encourage each one of us to be reading together so that we are all reading God's word on the same day, on the same thing, knowing exactly what God is saying to us as individuals, to us as a church, to us as a nation. Can you imagine this country if we all know God's word and know what is true and how we will live our lives differently? As a 10-year-old, I wish I'd known that verse. I would have saved myself a whole lot of stress. And now I'm a little bit older, a whole lot older, and I now don't need to worry about those kind of things, but I still need to know God's word for my life every single day. So if you have not signed up and if you're having any, any troubles I'm here. Uh, interns, just put up your hand quickly, please. You see all these amazing, those amazing interns? They're all tech savvy. They will help you. Rico, myself, JP, we will help you. Uh, please do come and see us so that we can all get onto the same page for the reading plan. Reading God's word will change your life. It is living. It is active. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for for being able together as a, as a church family and to discuss your word. Lord, I, I thank you that even though words cannot fully describe the power that is behind your, your scripture, that regardless of how we, we um, think about it or what we say about it, that your word is almighty, all-powerful, and it's your spoken word. Lord, I thank you that you chose to use uh, people to write your word, but I thank you that you are the one uh, that put everything together. And like a thread that runs from Genesis <clears throat> all the way through to Revelation, that your word is true and your word is constant. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you that you, that you know everything <coughs> excuse me, that we're going through. <clears throat> and I thank you that even though it's January, that you know everything that we need. Lord, I thank you for, for gathering us here today and to be able to worship you and to stand before you and, um, and just... Um, show you everything that's going on in our lives. Lord, we commit this morning to you and we thank you for your love. Amen. This is Rico Veca and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today and it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast. <laughs>